The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, church, if you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? Would you open with me? We are turning into a new chapter. Would you open with me to Romans 6? Romans 6. I've been looking forward to this one for a while, in all honesty. Um, this, is, this is a really important text, and, and here is, is what excites me. So we've seen this a couple times already in Romans, by the way, um, but Romans is one long Long letter, one long continual argument. It it just kind of builds on itself and builds on itself. And it's important for us to see Romans this way. Um, You know, we could, we could just kind of take this verse and that verse and kind of put it together to make it say what we want it to say. But Romans doesn't really let us do that because it's so logical. I love the way, the way that he organized, Paul organizes this, and we would do well, um, as with all the other epistles, to kind of step into it, understanding its context. And, and that's what we're trying to do here in Romans, and to see the big picture that Paul is communicating. And, and um, we're going to see Paul do a couple things. So number one, we're going to see him make, like I said, these building arguments, that because this is true, then this is true. And because that is true, then this is true. And they just kind of, they build on, on each other. And, and number two, what Paul's going to do is as he's building these arguments, this is, you might find this, you know, amusing. You might find this frustrating. He gets out ahead of you and he asks the questions that you were thinking and he asks them and then he emphatically answers them. He's like, I know you're thinking this. No. He does this all throughout Romans, and, and, and we see our text this morning is such a good example of this, one of my favorite examples of this. Um, all throughout this letter, Paul has been building this argument, right, of justification is by faith. It's not about what you do or don't do. It's not about your works, your actions, or the best intentions that you have. Uh, It's not about the law, the works of the law. It's about the grace of God through faith. Amen? Amen? All right. And then in in chapter 5 alone, in chapter 5 alone, Paul, Paul says we've been justified. We have peace with our God through faith. He says we have access to our God in faith. We've been reconciled to our God by faith. More than that, he says, just as we've been made sinners Through Adam, Paul says, we've been made righteous through Jesus. So it's faith, not works. Faith, not law. It's faith, not intentions or attempts. It's faith, 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 okay? And and this is ours through faith in Christ. In in fact, before we get to our text, let me read, I, I believe, the most pivotal verse of our text last week. It says, now the law came, this is, this is verse 20 of chapter 5, in to increase the trespass, and then listen to this, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increases, so does grace. Where sin increases, the more sin, the more grace abounds, right? Well, like I said, 
Paul's going to now get out a little bit ahead of us here and ask a question that may be on your and our minds. It's a logical question. It's a question that has been asked countless times over and over and over again. Let's let Paul ask it, all right? Verse one of our text today, chapter six, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? All right, so compare it to the verse I just read. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Paul says, so are we going to continue to sin so that grace abounds all the more? Gets out ahead of us. He, he asks the question, so we take this in. It's faith, not works, faith, not law, faith, not intentions, and because that is true, why does it matter then? Why do works matter? Why does the law matter? Why does obedience matter? Should we, can we then just continue on in our sin? Because we know, we know, grace is going to cover it. Praise God, grace is going to cover it. So let's be heathens. Since we know it's impossible to outsend the cross, why not try? Why does it matter? If it's all about grace anyway, why not sin more so we receive more grace and we'll be a testimony of grace, right? That's the question. And can I just say, this is not some dusty, old, ancient question. This isn't like something they wrestled with back then, but we have evolved beyond this question. This is a question that is for us today and so much hinges on this question. And this morning, we're going to look at so many important things. Um, But This morning, the answer to the question, the single thing that Paul is driving us to in this text, I will argue, is identity. Identity. Uh, My goal, the one goal, the one big aim this morning is, is ultimately for you and I, for us to understand our identity, who we are in Christ. Let me read our text. And uh, let's just take this in before we kind of dig in slowly together. What shall we say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Identity, identity, identity. Who are you? What is your identity? I propose to you that the answer to that question scripturally from this text The Christian life is the baptized life. The Christian life is the baptized life. The Christian life should be viewed through the lens of of baptism. Some of you are probably thinking, that is so weird, Pastor. 
Hang with me. Hang with me. I believe baptism, the imagery of baptism, the reality of baptism is a central theme in the New Testament. And it is the theme that God has chosen to use for us to understand who we are in him. It is the theme that God has chosen to use to, for us to understand our identity in Christ. The Christian life is the baptized life. Um, Robert Weber, in one of, his, one of my favorite books, called Divine Embrace, um, he says this, the question is, with whom do you identify, Adam or Jesus? To enter God's embrace means a continuous turning from Adam identity to Jesus identity. And he goes on to say this, baptism is the mark of our new spiritual identity. The Christian life is the baptized life. Paul says this, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, before we get deeper into this, listen, I, I know that baptism, the word baptism, the idea of baptism is a bit of a loaded term. I, I fully understand that that. It has different connotations, different meanings with different people based on different backgrounds. Um, some of you might come from Catholic backgrounds. Some of you might come from Lutheran, Presbyterian backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds. Um, for some of you, you might hear baptism and you might think about believer's baptism by immersion. For some of you, you might hear baptism and you might think of baby baptisms. You might think of sprinkling water or some uh, ceremony or, or something like that. Um, others of you might come from a charismatic background, and when you hear baptism, you don't think about water at all. You think about baptism in the spirit, and you think about signs, and you think about tongues, and, and, and all of that. Others of you, if you're honest, you have absolutely no connotation with baptism at all. You don't have anything to, to really draw from in your background. Um, listen, regardless of who you are, there, we believe scripture teaches two things about baptism. Um, number one, we must understand this. Number one is our baptism, meaning our obedience to get baptized, go in, come out of the water again. It, our baptism does not save us. We are not saved by means of baptism. Um, here at Stone Oak Bible, we believe scripture teaches um, that baptism is to be done in obedience after we come to faith, that it is a, that it is a, a, a proclamation of the work that Christ has done. Baptism, though, does not save you. It doesn't matter who you are, your background, your baptism, if you're relying on it through, for your salvation, you're gonna come up empty because scripture doesn't say it's salvation by, by baptism. It says salvation by grace through faith. So, you follow me? Baptism is, a, a, is symbolic of what God has done for us, in us. It demonstrates, it proclaims what our God has done. It is an outward proclamation of an inward reality. Now, um, maybe a better way to say this is an outward proclamation of an inward identity. 
Second, our baptism, is, it's not only symbolic of our salvation in Christ, but, but baptism is also, and we're going to really hit on this this morning, symbolic of our new life in Christ. That we who were, we once were, our old self has been crucified, we are dead to sin, and now we are resurrected, raised with Christ to walk in new life. Baptism proclaims the truth of our salvation in Christ, and it proclaims the truth of our life, our new life in Christ. The Christian life is the baptized life. We're going to dig into this a little bit this morning. And why does this matter? Why does it matter that the Christian life is the baptized life? Why does this matter? Um, I came across this powerful example from a book um, this is not a Christian book. It's not a book about the Bible. It's not a book about the church. It's not a book about baptism, all right? Um, it's a book about human nature, psychology, and habits. Um, forming healthy habits, eliminating unhealthy habits. That's what this book is about. Um, I enjoy books like this because I'm a nerd. And uh, so I, I, I love books like this. Um, but I, I really have enjoyed this book. It's a, it's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And here's what I love. There's this old saying that all truth is God's truth. Have you heard that? What that means is, is that without even knowing it, what I love about this book is without even knowing it, James Clear, he articulates this beautiful biblical truth. He has no idea that he's doing it. When I read this, I was like, yeah, that'll preach. Um, he do, has no idea, it, but I love this when I see it. In chapter two of his, books, he, he, his book, he talks about the identity is the key to any change. He, he shows it like this. So, so we have here the outer circle is outcomes. I'm gonna go fast through this. Outer circle is outcomes, and this is kind of the results. Then you have this, processes. Processes are the systems, the habits, the works that it takes to get those results, okay? And then lastly, you have the center, which is identity. This is who we are, our worldview, our beliefs, and our values, okay? Now, in this book, he makes this profound, and I will say again, biblical argument that he says the problem that most of us face is the direction of change. And uh, what he, let me show you what that means. So the problem is when we try to go from outside in. When we try to start with the outcome and then start by cleaning up what we do and the habits that we have and the routines that we have, our works, in order that identity changes. When we try to start out here and work our way into an identity change. And he proposes this is the wrong way. This outside-in change is the wrong way to view any kind of change. He says, he argues for another way called inside-out change. Inside-out change that begins with our identity, begins with who we are, and then flows outward into what we do and the results that we see. Ultimately, our outcomes. Now, he gives us this easy example, again, not a Christian book, book on habits, but he compares this just to help this sink in, and I think this will really help. He gives this example of someone who's trying, two people who are trying to resist smoking a cigarette. And uh, what he says is this, 
Both people offered a cigarette. The first one says, no, thank you. I'm trying to quit. That sounds like a reasonable response, doesn't it? No, thank you. I'm trying to quit. James says, though, that, the, that this person still believes that they are a smoker who is trying to be something else. They are hoping their behavior will change while carrying around the same identity, beliefs. He wants you to compare this with the second person who, when given a cigarette, says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. Okay. The difference between these responses, he says, is small, might seem small, but it signals a massive shift in identity. For this second individual, smoking was a part of their former life, not their current one. They no longer identify as someone who smokes. That'll preach. That will preach. James Clear, most likely, without knowing it, is pointing out a biblical truth that transcends far beyond smoking or habits. He's pointing out something core about what transformation looks like, and that is this, that it is an inside-out formation and transformation. It starts with identity. This is how transformation happens. It's, it's not an outside-in process. It's an inside-out process. This can't be overstated. James Clear goes on to say this, Behavior that is incongruent with our identity will not last. Behavior that's incongruent with our identity will not last. Is not Paul saying the very same thing? Let me read Paul's words. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? Listen to this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It is not who we are. It is not our identity. Therefore, this behavior, this sin is incongruent with who we are, our identity, and therefore it cannot, it will not ultimately last. How can we who died in sin, died to sin, still live in it? I will say this again. This is all about Identity. The Christian life is the baptized life. So since we have been crucified with Christ, since we are now dead to sin, how can we still live in it? And listen how Paul now directs us to baptism. He says this, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death? We're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Why would Paul point us, church, to baptism here? Why would Paul do this? Because he's pointing to our identity. He is pointing to who we are as Christians. He is pointing to our identity. Why would Paul point us to baptism? Because there are at least two important truths that baptism reveals to us that characterize the Christian life. And I want to spend the remaining time that we have together on these two truths from this text. Two parts. You have, in baptism, the going under and the coming up. 
You have the, the going under representing death, the coming up representing resurrection and life. You have the going under representing Christ in his death on our behalf, and you have the coming up, representing his resurrection from death to life. You have the going under, representing your death to sin, and the coming up, representing your newness of life in Christ. This is exactly what Paul is saying here in our text, being baptized unto his death, being buried by baptism into into his death, and then turning the quarter in order that Jesus being raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. You see baptism in both of its parts in this text. So baptism has these two parts, the going under and the coming up. The Christian life, church, here's what I need for us to see, has two parts, the going under and the coming up. The going under and the coming up. The going under, the fact that we are dead to sin, and the coming up. The fact that we are alive to God. Theologians love to come up with fancy new words. And uh, throughout the history of the church, historically, theologians have called these two parts mortification and vivification. This one's a tongue twister, isn't it? Vivification. You got to say it three times to really feel confident about it. Um, Mortification meaning, so this meaning the killing of sin put sin to death, and vivification meaning life, new life in Christ. So mortification, vivification, killing of sin, newness of life, this church is the baptized life. It's the same thing Paul will say, you don't have to turn with me here, but in Ephesians 4, um, he says, but this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with, uh, through deceitful desires. That's mortification, church, the putting off, the putting sin to death. And then Paul continues, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's vivification. That's newness of life. That's the baptized life. Paul's gonna say this later in Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, listen to this, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put sin to death and live in Christ. This is the baptized life. This is the Christian life. In church, we as Christians, we get in trouble when we make the Christian life less than this. Here's what I mean here. Think about what Paul is saying. How can we say then, um, how, how can we say then, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound where sin increased, grace abounded all the more? So are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Why? Because the Christian life is the baptized life. And how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's the going under. 
We were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. It's the coming up. We too might walk in newness of life. That's the coming up. That's the new life in Christ, newness of life. This, understanding this is so important. Um, I want you to think about this with me. When we forget about one of those two things, mortification or vivification, when we forget about either one, we get in trouble. When we forget mortification, that we forget that we need to put sin to death, what happens? Well, we become carnal, hedonistic, and we live our lives in bondage. Uh, We far too often, far too many are far too content with sin. I heard this example a long time ago. This is not original to me, by the way, um, but it marked me. Several years ago, I heard this example. It's from a popular show on, uh, I think, Animal Planet or Discovery something. Um, And it showed people having exotic pets, crazy exotic pets. And on one episode, it showed this guy who had a pet lion, just insane. Um... And he was like rolling around with this beast of an animal who had every instinct and every tooth and every claw to rip him apart. But he had it since it was his lion cub, right? And, and it was just part of the family, a huge, dangerous family pet. And unfortunately on this show, disaster struck. And uh, the lion, surprise, attacked. Attacked. And... Uh, Long story short, no one died. No one died. Um, but the lion, I mean, there was problems. The lion was taken away from this man's home. And, and what struck me, though, was the reaction of all of this. So they did all the interviews, and everyone was just shocked. And they were like, ah, we didn't see this one coming. Like, how could this happen? Where did it come from? Church, I don't think there's a better example of sin than this. We, the lion is an apex predator, and yet we are shocked when an apex predator behaves like an apex predator. We are ah, shocked by it. It blows us away. And, and too often we treat sin just like this. We, dem- we try to domesticate it. We try to control it. We try to tame it. We brag about it. We make provisions for it. And we think it's awesome that we have it just in the back. And then when our sin does what sin does, <laughs> what sin promises to do, when it leads to death, when it leads to destruction, when it leads to bondage, to pain, to loss, when it leads to all those places, we step back and we'll, ah, I thought I had it tamed. I thought I had it under control. I thought I had it domesticated. Church, sin cannot be tamed. Sin cannot be domesticated. We cannot be surprised that when we snuggle up with sin, we will get hurt. When we make provisions for it, we will be led to death. Our relationship with sin is not to domesticate it. It is to put it to death and to be at war with it. Why? Because we, as Christians, 
are living the baptized life. We put sin to death. Now, of course, will we as Christians, will we still sin? Of course. Are we perfect? Not yet. Not until we see our, our Savior face to face. No, we, we are not. But we need to go back to the question that we began this morning. Who are you? Who are we? And here's why this question matters. When we sin, when you sin, are you acting in accordance, in congruence with your identity? Or are you acting out of step with your, your identity? Like our smoking analogy, are you the smoker that says, I'm trying to quit? Or are you the second example that says, I don't smoke? Let me, let me answer that question for you. In Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells you that you are a new creation, not a creation trying to be new. You are a new creation. Your fundamental identity has changed. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. Scripture tells you, Christian, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are servants of Christ. Sin, where it was once your identity and once your normal, no more. Sin, in other words, is now at conflict with that central identity. So now we see sin differently. No longer do we embrace it or accept it. No, we fight it. We war against it. We put it to death because it's not us. It's like the old saying, I don't know if you've heard this, um, before I came to Christ, I never struggled with sin. I just sinned. <laughs> What's that old saying say? What, what does it mean? Well, it's before I came to Christ, my identity and my sin were in perfect congruence. No longer, though. Now I am new, so now I fight. I fight against sin. Now we struggle. The mark of being a child of God is the fact that we struggle and we fight against sin. Why? Because we're dead to sin and we are alive to Christ. Because we live a baptized life, dead to sin, alive to God. When we forget mortification, we forget that we are to put sin to death. And on the other side, what happens when we only focus on mortification, when we only focus on putting sin to death, when we only focus on that and we forget about the new life that Christ has for us. What happens then? What happens when we only focus on the law and being good? Well, we become slaves to moralism and legalism. In other words, we become really well-behaved heathens. Really well-behaved heathens. We, we become what Jesus calls in the Gospels whitewashed tombs. The Christian life is much, much more than behavioral modification to get you to behave better. It's so much more than that death. Church, scripture says it's about life eternally and abundantly in Christ. We die to sin. We live to Christ. 
Listen, as we close, um, this is the baptized life that you were called into through Christ. This is the invitation this morning through the cross. You cannot save yourself. You cannot change yourself. It is only when we are given a new identity that we now change from the inside out. This is the call this morning to come to Christ so that he can give you a completely new identity. And from this new identity, everything else will now flow out. Christ is inviting you into the baptized life. Let us not accept anything less. Let's pray together. God, as we look at your word and and what this scripture calls us to see, we are confronted yet again with our sin and our inability to, to be good and to be righteous. We are confronted yet again with the grace that you offer through Jesus. We're confronted yet again. But this morning, as your word has shown us, we have now been given an invitation into the baptized life. And I pray this morning that we will step into that life, the Christian life, the baptized life, where we will be at war and to put our sin to death and that we will walk in newness of life. I pray for every brother and sister in this room. I pray that you would help us to fight well, to not make provisions for the flesh, but to put it to death. I pray for every brother and sister in the room that you would show us who we are in you. If there's one thing the enemy would love to do is to get us to forget or to not see or to be deceived with who we are, our identity in you. And I pray for every brother and sister in this room that we become clear through the work of your spirit of who we are, our identity in Christ, that we will now be at war against the flesh and that we will now enjoy walk in the newness of life that we have been given through Jesus Christ. God, help us now as we respond to this. All we have is you. Lord, so we respond this morning. In Jesus' name.